God's word today, we will turn to Luke chapter 12, verses 31 to 32. Verse 31. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And then we will turn to 1 Timothy 6, verses 15 to 16. Which God will bring about in his own time, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. God is the king of all kings. God is the king of all kings. God is the king of all kings. His throne, his power and glory are eternal because he is the king of all kings. Therefore, his throne, his power and glory are eternal. And with his authority, he reigns over both the spiritual and material worlds. And we welcome this as is. We acknowledge this fact and we welcome this fact as is, and this is what faith is. And if we have such faith, then we long to be ruled by him. Um, so he is a king of all kings, not us. So God is the king, the king of all kings. And so therefore we desire to be reigned by him forever to make that resolve to be ruled by him and the life of faith for such person is to live a life where the kingdom where jesus rules as the christ as a king so last week's sermon's opening passage in matthew said we are not to worry about what to eat or drink and this week in luke it says similarly do not worry god said to not worry about these things and these things will be given. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and he wants to give to us his kingdom. Amen. Hallelujah. So we may think that if we live for his kingdom, it is a loss. It may sound like we are sacrificing, but in fact, we will be inheriting his kingdom. Amen. So what is nation to me? So what does nation mean to me? People today, uh, these days, they don't think about these things. All they're doing is they're on their iPhones. Uh, but when we speak of this, it, when I speak of this, it really brings these uh, emotions to heart. So nation or country, what is nation to oneself? The relationship between nation and oneself cannot be separated. So the nation and I cannot be separated. In times of peace, we do not really realize the significance or our conscience of nation. And we just live for our daily bread. And we don't understand or realize how important the nation is. But once uh, troubles happen, once calamities happen, we see how important a nation is to us. So in our daily lives, we may not notice, but in times of trouble, we then realize that nation is everything. So, 
So when something huge happens, so picture or imagine a fish in a, a fishbowl. They're just swimming around in their fishbowl and doing their thing. But if something happens inside or it breaks, then it's a matter of life and death. So our lives are dependent. So we see uh, in the history of the world that these issues occur. So to be a nation, there are three elements. So there are three defining characteristics of what make up a nation, which is territory of the people and then sovereignty. And also uh, uh, nations have uh, their own set of values and beliefs, ideologies such as freedom, democracy, uh, peace, um, so there are these different ideologies and as well as rights and uh, taxes and education. So, so the, there are these requirements uh, when you live in a nation for it to be, uh, exist and be maintained as a nation. There are these certain set of values and requirements that they need to uphold. So when we look at the Vietnam War, the Korea and America uh, and the Vietnamese, they fought together uh, in that war. And at the time, uh, they were provided um, the rations from the soldiers. But when, um, Vietnam fell. America retreated from Saigon by helicopters. So the GIs and officers were all called to be airlifted out. And anyone, uh, so only those with uh, U.S. citizenship were airlifted and brought home. But they left behind their loved ones and children because they did not have such citizenship or identity. And just like that, what determines you belong to is who you belong to is your nationality and it's important and that's important. So even in Afghanistan, we saw these large cargo planes leaving and there were people chasing after the planes or trying to hop on them and they eventually fell off and we watched it uh, on the news. And it's just so scary and um, saddening. It, it shakes me down to my bones. When I was born, we were under Japanese rule, and when I was five, Korea was liberated. And then later, there was the Korean War, which occurred, and then all of a sudden, there was a communist party, and there were the rats <clears throat> teaching us all these communist ideas. And then afterwards, three months after the war ended, uh, we received back our liberty. And each time these events occurred uh, in the span of these years, we saw uh, 
how this affected the lives of the people, how they were in fear and uh, despair, and and also so many lives being lost. So this was for the nation, and whenever I I hear the word nation, it brings so much to my heart because of all the experiences I went through. So a nation is is one unified place of life. And if you don't really know what I'm talking about, just go to an isolated island. And even those islands, those small islands belong to some nation that you have to belong to somewhere uh, to live. So now what does the Bible teach us? It teaches us of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Though we do not see him, God exists. And uh, some may think God is good, he is love. But not only that, God, he established his kingdom and he has already committed to be the king of all kings, the Lord of lords forever and ever. So he determined that he would be the king of kings. And when did he decide this? When did he decide this? In the beginning, before anything was. In other words, before the universe was created, be even before the spiritual heaven, before anything was, is when God decided to be the king of all kings. The king of kings he decided to be. So some may think just he can be a king, why create all these things? But to be a king, you need a, a nation to govern. And for a nation, you need those three elements, which is, which is the territory, people, and sovereignty. And so what do you need? The three things. You need land, you need territory, you need people, and you need sovereignty. You need these three elements to, to establish a nation, a kingdom. And that's what the history of the Bible tells us. So in order for this to happen, God set forth his dispensation. So he first created the spiritual heaven. For what? Why did he create the kingdom of heaven? He created this land and he starts displaying his works and uh, he placed the throne there. And he also created the ministering servants, the angels. So before God created this material world, this physical world, before creation, he created the spiritual heaven and um, put all these things there. And there were angels who were created to serve God and give glory to him. But an issue occurred. There was Satan who was an archangel, uh, very talented, and uh, very popular and therefore he became very arrogant and wanted to place his throne above God's. He wanted to place his throne above God's throne. So we've read this many times and so he wanted to place his throne above God's throne. That he wanted to become like God and it's uh, recorded in Isaiah chapter 14 verses 12 to 15. So amongst the many angels, there was an angel who was very popular and talented and wanted to be like God. 
and uh, God found this detestable and in order to judge him on the great day of judgment to be sent to hell he created Hades Hades the dark pits also known as the universe so he created the universe to contain him there so the universe was created to imprison the angel of Satan who defied God and when amongst humans he is referred to as the devil and that's how the history uh, began so after the fallen angel was cast down to this universe so the devil he wanted to become a king of his own so he would need his own land and he would need his own people so who do you think he went to who do you think what what do you think he did in the garden of eden he deceived the woman eve by saying did god really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden and the woman said to the serpent we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden but god did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die and uh, the devil deceived her saying you will not certainly die and therefore she ate and all mankind after adam became slaves of the devil from that point on he became known as the prince of the world so now he's called the prince of this world and the descendants of adam and eve they became the people of the devil and were following him all the way to hell and that's what their fate was so we can't be talking about what the theologians and uh, of this world talk about but we have to understand this as a dispensation of god which was set in eternity so this nation this kingdom is not eternal but in order for him to show as a model and foreshadow and what is a king and how a kingdom should be ruled and how the fate of the people depend on that this history was displayed and for that he calls a man named abraham to him he gives a prophecy a covenant though he did not have a child yet uh, he uh, promised him that he would become the father of many nations that in other words that you will have descendants who will become kings of many nations that there will be kings who come from you and in order to be a nation you need a you need territory and the land that was promised to them was the promised land of Canaan and that he would be their God he said I will be your God and though I give you all these kings remember I am God and the king of all kings above all kings and that's what's recorded in Genesis and such a covenant was made and uh, we see that there were quarrels amongst the brothers in one family and we see what happened to Joseph who was sold as a slave uh, and wound up in Egypt and one thing led to another uh, after some events uh, he was in jail but became second in command so we spoke of this last week but in the land of Canaan there was famine and they were starving and ended up going to Egypt 
in search of food. And the 70 descendants that Joseph lived and reigned there, and be they became a big nation. They multiplied and they increased and became a great nation. So they started with 70, but when they left Egypt, it was 600,000 young men, which means about 2 million in total with uh, the children, elders, and the women. So out of the 70 Israelites who went to Egypt, after four generations, they came back out as two million. So they became a very great nation, a big nation. When they came out, God said, I'm, I am promising you a new land, the promised land. And he referred to himself as, I am the Lord, I am became their king. So Jehovah is their king. The Lord God is our king and this was instilled in them. And um, so this was established and ingrained in the people of Israel when they left Egypt after 400 years of slavery overnight. So how in the world could they be liberated overnight like that after 400 years of being enslaved? By that time, they had no sense of what nation means. Uh, so you know the gypsies, they are a people, but they do not have a concept of nation. They are a, a landless, nationless people. So in Europe, there were many people, and then the Nazis and the Second World War happened. So they don't have land, and when they do not have a nation, there are groups of people like that who don't really have this uh, of nation. So, so this people, this group, uh, Israel, was not kept a small nation, but they were brought to become a mighty nation. So we see and the where premature babies are cared for they're in these um, the neonatal intensive care unit so just like that uh, the israelites were kept in incubation under the protection of egypt and when they came out they came out as a mighty nation a great nation and um, they did not come out empty-handed, but rather the Egyptians tried to prevent this from happening, and um, they were brought to their destruction. And they came out and left Egypt in ruins, and they brought out great plunder, especially after the last plague where their firstborns were all killed. And then the chariots and generals were drowned in the Red Sea. So Egypt had been the most powerful nation in the world at that time. But after the exodus occurred, they did not recover from that calamity ever since. And they are in heavy uh, poverty level to this day. So the Israelites went there empty-handed but when they left, uh, they left with an abundance of treasures. And not only that, they wiped out Egypt, just like a huge tornado uh, passed through them. 
So they are led to the wilderness and the desert. And in Exodus 19, 6, it says, You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So this is the first time they're called a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a mighty nation, as they are the nation of God, a kingdom uh, of God, the people of God. So they were surely set apart. Their people were the Israelites. Their king was not a human, but was Jehovah God. Their law came from God. It was the law of God. And their land was the promised land flowing with milk and honey that God promised. So what is the name of their nation? The people are the Israelites. And the, their king is who? Jehovah. And the law was the law of God. So you can't, you can't follow. This is very important. For we have to make it into his kingdom. And we have to know what his kingdom is for us to live for it. So what's, so what's the name that we are trying to compare with this? So, so the name given to them are the, the people of Israel, their law and their territory and their king. Jehovah, and this is what he instilled in them. And uh, because they uh, feared, they sent, uh, the people sent spies to the land of Canaan, and they reported there were giants there and how they were like grasshoppers in their own eyes. And anyone who said that and were discouraging were put to death. It, was Joshua and Caleb who declared that the Lord would lead the way and he would fight and win their battles. And not only that, God sent hornets that came and um, this led them to victory. However, though God led the people of Israel to win these battles, yet there were those who lacked faith, who doubted and were unable to make it to the promised land. So it was the promised land, but they could not make it there as they did not have faith. So you have to listen carefully. If you do not have faith, then you will not be able to make it into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You can only enter there by faith. Amen. So after being uh, victorious in these battles, they made it to the land of Canaan and established their kingdom. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we see how they corrupted themselves by asking for a king. They wanted they asked him to appoint a king to govern them like the other nations. So while God is good and they wanted a visible king. And um, so they asked this of the prophet Samuel and Samuel went to the Lord and repeated their demand. And so God said, um, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It, it is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. So God was saying they were forsaking him and um, they wanted their own king. Uh, but to make sure they understand what a king will do. That know what the king will reign over them. 
will claim as his rights. So the result is they were given a king, and that king was Saul. And we see what he did. He did not listen to the word of the Lord. And then, uh, and then after him uh, was uh, the young boy David. So we we read the story where he goes to his brothers when the Philistines and Israelites were in war. So there was such a commotion, and he heard the story of this giant champion named Goliath. And how the Israelites were in despair as this large giant defied God, saying, "How dare you come out here? Who are you? And I'm going to swallow you all up." So this uncircumcised man dared defy and say these things about the army of God. So. This young boy、uh, went out there with a sling and some stones, and so he went there and、uh, he slayed this champion with one shot. And so he lays this giant flat, and that becomes the beginning of the, the first real king, David. So David became the king that God was well pleased by, whom God loved, and he ruled and expanded the kingdom.、Uh, and he became、uh, a powerful ruler. And to this day, the people of Israel feel this privilege and honor of being called the people of David,、uh, the people of his kingdom. But this, this did not last. The reign of Israel. So after Solomon, it was his son、uh, Rehoboam, and then there was Jeroboam, the king of Israel. So Solomon's son and the traitor they fought, and the nation split into two and became the northern and southern kingdoms. So they. Eventually, lost their sovereignty to surrounding kingdoms after their split, as they became、uh, weaker. So, in 722 BC, the northern kingdom was conquered by the Assyrians. Then, in 586 BC, they were brought to ruin and lost their sovereignty. So when Jehovah Lord was their king, they were protected and prospered, and were able to expand. But after they asked for a human king for their nation, it. It didn't matter how much David was loved. We see that their nation did not last. So it was then it was Solomon, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, and it was we see that it was all brought to ruin. That all these nations fell. So any nation in the hands of a human king does not last, as we see here. So that if God was not there with them, the result was destruction. So there were no kings and prophets for four hundred years,、uh, which was called the Middle Ages. The Middle Ages, there were no leaders for Israel, no prophets or kings. 
So they were captives and occupied by other nations. By this nation or that nation, they lost their sovereignty and they were destroyed. Uh, so the people remained, but they were, but um, they lived near the temple of Jerusalem. The reason why they could not leave there was because there was a prophecy by the prophets that a king would appear, that the Messiah would come. And when he comes, their kingdom would be reestablished and he would be uh, the king of peace, the prince of peace. In Isaiah 7 and chapter 9, 6 details this prophecy. So this was what uh, they held on to. So this caused the people, this led the people to remain near the temple of Jerusalem, therefore. So now before this kingdom comes, they needed to uh, receive this Messiah. So there was the last prophet, John the Baptist, who paved the way. In the wilderness, he proclaimed the message to repent, that the kingdom of heaven was near. That he, he said to repent, for the kingdom of heaven was near. So he's shouting this out in the wilderness. Meaning, when he said the kingdom of heaven is near, meaning that throughout the years of sovereignty was stripped from Israel, and for them to regain it, this was what the people of Israel were longing for. But was this the kingdom he's shouting that's coming? No, it's a different kingdom, a new kingdom, and it's the kingdom of heaven. And that's what was coming. The kingdom that is sent by God will come, and this is what he was shouting in the wilderness. So the shouting was paving the way for the Lord. Paving the way for the Lord, preparing the way for the Lord. So up to this point, the descendants of Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob continued their people through their bloodlines, but their forefathers. But this was a kingdom that had nothing to do with bloodline, or it it was about a kingdom from heaven that was to come. So in Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. So John the baptized, John the Baptist baptized Jesus. And um, as soon as he was baptized, he went up out of the water and uh, a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. And then in Matthew chapter 11, they heard of what John the Baptist did. They came, and in verse 11, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So John the Baptist was saying that the kingdom of Christ was coming. 
The significance of John the Baptist's appearance is that by listening to his voice, they would be given a chance to seek and hold the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. So all the prophets and prophecies, um, so the prophets and law are connected here to what John is saying. So you have to know who John the Baptist is. So all the prophets and prophecies were about John. So this all connected um, to John. The prophets and law connected here to what John is saying. And in order to know what the prophets and law are about, you have to know who John the Baptist is. That knowing the law, you need to know John the Baptist to know the law, and it will give you the key to holding the kingdom of heaven. As there were no prophets or leaders or kings for the 400 years in the dark ages. The appearance of John the Baptist that through him the thousands of years of prophecies from Abraham to Moses it did not disappear but it connected to John the Baptist it was flowing all the way to John the Baptist is what this means here that now you know John the Baptist if you know who he is you'll know the prophecy of the law and prophets you need to know that to know the kingdom of heaven. So that's why it says, Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So there was nobody who was greater than John the Baptist. So everyone, uh, so they're, they're given birth by a woman. And after birth, the Israelites are taught by their mothers the law of Moses. So they live and are raised by the law and prophets and prophecies. And it's the introduction by the words from John the Baptist's mouth. So those who believe that the prophecies of God are fulfilled can then finally meet the Messiah whom God sends as king. So John the Baptist, he proclaimed that the kingdom of heaven was near. So this caught everyone's attention and they went to John the Baptist to see what he was doing and to receive this baptism. But he did not say they were doing good, but rather in Matthew chapter 3, uh, Matthew chapter 3 verse 7, he was saying that you are nothing that you must repent that you must turn back else you will be thrown into the fire so let us turn to matthew chapter 3 and verse 1 and read this so in those days john the baptist came preaching in the wilderness of judea and saying repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? 
produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not think you can say to yourselves we have Abraham as our father I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham the axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire I baptize you with water for repentance but after me comes one who is more powerful than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the shaft with unquenchable fire so the kingdom of heaven is what he was introducing so when we talk about a kingdom or a nation we don't just visualize some image uh, but it, it should resemble something so it is clear what john said that he will be doing here that so it says that he will baptize you with the holy spirit and fire his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the shaft with unquenchable fire it's that he will come back as the great judge to gather his wheat into the barn and burning up the shaft with unquenchable fire so the kingdom will come and it's not for peace he's coming but he's going to clear the threshing floor that he is going to set the score straight that the wheat into the barn and the shaft into the unquenchable fire that in malachi chapter 4 5 it says see i will send the prophet elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the lord comes so Malachi chapter four five says, "I will send you. I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes." So it says Elijah. He is the represent. He represents the prophet. The prophet will come, and that prophet is John the Baptist. So, so the John the Baptist. What was he proclaiming and shouting to do? It was to repent. To repent. To repent. That if you repented as the descendants of Abraham and Judah, you cannot make it to the kingdom of heaven by bloodline or by keeping the law. That, no, but rather you have to repent and fall down to confess that you are a sinner and submit to him as a sinner or you will be subject to dreadful judgment and thrown into the fire. So this was very difficult to understand. Even this day is difficult for us. And uh, so many saw the signs and wonders and they welcomed, there were those who welcomed him as the Messiah whom God sent. However, on the other hand, there were people who plotted to kill him as um, they saw him as someone who denied and uh, defied the law who broke the law so due to these misunderstandings they plotted to kill jesus they wanted to eliminate so the jews were waiting for the messiah but after seeing uh, what jesus spoke and did 
Uh, he did things that uh, the Jews could not tolerate, and therefore it was difficult to receive him, difficult to welcome him. So they plotted to get rid of him, and um, uh, he was uh, then taken to so they captured him and eventually he was brought before Pontius Pilate who was a governor of the the nation Rome at the time so before Pilate he was asked if he was the king of the Jews and Jesus asked is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me so he asked are you a king Jesus said that I am a king that I am a king. Jesus said his kingdom was not of this world, implying that he was a king. So Pilate said, you are a king then. And Pontius, he shivered as this man was brought before him um, to die. But uh, regardless, he had this boldness and courage and declared, I am a king. And um, Pilate said, don't, you realize I have power to either free you or to crucify you. And Jesus said, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. So he acknowledged that authority was given to him by God the Father. But his kingdom was not of this world. And my father gave you this authority to kill and crucify me, but I will be resurrected and will establish the eternal kingdom in heaven. So this is what he meant. Hallelujah. So, however, um, because of the shouts of the people, he eventually turns Jesus over to be crucified. And, um, and Pontius Pilate, so Jesus Christ was a sinless man, but because of the people of the world and the Jews, he was put to death. And, and Jesus said, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. So he came to this world to become king. That he it was to become the king of this kingdom of heaven and he spoke of the truth and Pontius could not understand him and uh, was led to be crucified. And when Jesus died, what did he say? He said, it is finished. It is finished. Why did he die? It is the will he died according to the will of the Father, the commands of the Father, which was established in eternity. In John chapter 1, 1, in eternity, before creation was made, before anything was, is when this was established that he existed as the Word. And the Word came as the Son of Man to become King. And this was the master plan that was planned in eternity so the word became flesh God became flesh the word became flesh God became flesh he came 
and died and became a king. And this plan was planned in the beginning in eternity. It was not because Jesus was not popular or no one followed him that he died, but rather he came with the purpose to die. And why? The biggest, the greatest authority, the biggest authority was the authority of death. In Hebrews chapter 2, let us turn there. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since the children children have flesh and blood he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death so he himself shared he too shared in their humanity that he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. So did Mary conceive through Joseph and give birth to Jesus? Or was Mary a virgin when she was conceived by the Holy Spirit? So we all know that the word became flesh. The word, the seed, was planted in the womb of Mary. So Jesus has no physical father but but only the Father God, and he was born. He came as the Son of God, and he came in the flesh to die, and that's why he came in the flesh. In order to understand this, we now turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 18, verse 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. That I lay down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. Amen. Hallelujah. So to become a king, to become a nation, what? do you need? You need a territory, you need a people, and you need sovereignty. You need authority. So he has this authority. See, I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. He received this from the Father. And for this, he lays down his life. He's not, it's not taken away from him, but he uses his authority to lay down his life. So a king, um, so Jesus is the Christ. He is the king. So you have to have authority to be king. So from the time of birth, he had the authority to live and the authority to die. He did not come and die because he was weak or he was forced to his death, but it was his choice. He willingly died with the authority he was given. As we read in Hebrews chapter 2, 14, death was the authority that the devil held. Since when did he have that authority of death? Since when did the devil have such authority of death? In the Garden of Eden, when he led Adam to commit sin, as they were deceived that they could eat and not die. So this deception led people to become slaves of the devil, and that is when the devil gained this authority of death. So did he receive that authority because he earned it? No. 
It was not because God wanted to give it to him. The, no, the reason is that you need an authority figure to verse another authority figure to crush and demolish. And that is why the authority was given to the devil. So Jesus needed to be king of a kingdom. So he had the authority to die and to raise it back up again. So how much, so he has two. He has the authority to lay down his life and the authority to bring it back up again. But the devil, uh, who deceived man, his authority that he received was of death. And this authority of death, how many? It's just a single authority. He only has this one. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the very moment, the authority of the prince of this world and the authority of the kingdom of heaven clashed. And who won? So Jesus died completely, but the devil only had one bullet and he used that authority to kill. So does he have any more left? No, he killed Jesus and was done. But after three days, Jesus rose from death as he had the authority to live. The authority to live. So with that authority, he lived and Judgment was executed on the devil, and he was condemned and destined to hell. Isn't this real? So when was this planned? In the beginning, this was set. And this is just so amazing how God is so precise. And it's very frightening. It's very fearful how he is so precise and the events coming to fruition from history to this moment Jesus Christ died on the cross and that is why he said it is finished amen hallelujah and from that time in Hebrews chapter 2 15 it says and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death so all mankind who were born after Adam they constantly had this fear of death that um, all mankind, when birth, was in bondage and subject to the devil, as slaves of the devil, and instinctually, they fear death. So out of you here, is anyone here not afraid of death? Raise your hand. Or if you are afraid, raise your hand. So are you guys all liars, not truthful? Just be honest that you are not afraid of death. I am truly not afraid of death. That I really don't fear death. You know my testimony that I went, I experienced um, many diseases and I was, in the past I was afraid of even the slightest pain and afraid of death. And uh, I was reading about medical findings and journals and it all seemed like they were talking about me. That everything, I would just lie down and uh, just look at these symptoms. And if my lung hurt, I thought it was cancer and I was sick. And there were these symptoms, but uh, now I am not worried at all about these things because eventually I am going to die anyways. Everyone will die somehow, 
and I just pray to be in less pain. However, everyone will die through sickness or illness. Or... So if you are freed from the bondage of death, then there's nothing to fear. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But by the death of Jesus, who destroyed the authority of death, he condemned. And now those who receive his blood and have been redeemed become the people of the kingdom of Christ. People of the kingdom of Christ. So if you have the blood of Jesus, say amen. Then who is your king? Yeshua Christ. Yeshua is my king. When he resurrected, what was his crown? So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the very crown. When the king received the crown and went to battle, he won the battle against the devil and resurrected and became the king of all kings. He received the crown and he ascended to the kingdom of heaven. And in heaven, he is there seated on the throne as the king of kings as the king of all kings, the king of all authority, he rules there forever and ever. The king who is eternal, he governs there forever. Amen. Hallelujah. Now he sends the Holy Spirit after his ascension. And those who receive the Holy Spirit have the blood of Jesus Christ. And by the blood of Jesus Christ, they are born again and have become the people of the kingdom where Jesus rules. Now Jesus Christ is seated on the throne as a king of kings. And soon after he sends the Holy Spirit to those people given citizenship through the blood of Jesus. And lets us know what nation is, what kingdom is, and who our king is. Who did the Holy Spirit go to? It's the church where the 120 saints remain for them as the members and body to know that Jesus, that Yeshua is our king. So Yeshua Christ is our king. And when we have such confession, we welcome him as such. Isn't that right? And that you want to be under his reign that I want to be ruled and reign under his rule and reign. Amen. Hallelujah. So on the Lord's day, what do we do? It's the day we give worship. Who do we seek? The face of the King of Kings. So we seek the face of the King of Kings and it is just, it's not just anyone, but it's the King of Kings, the Most High the Almighty, the, we have come to see the Most High. Amen. So let's say if today the President of the United States, or so the President of the whole world, says he summons you to be seen in the White House. So anyone who receives this invitation, uh, how would you feel? you would probably be thrilled and be like, what in the world does the president want? Why in the world would he want to see me? So the moment they are summoned to be seen by the president, you become 
all anxious and are thrilled and excited at the same time. And you can imagine what that'd be like. So you go with great excitement and thrill. Isn't that right? You have no interest, you don't care. But what is far greater? That you are here to see the face of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords on the Lord's day. That Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, is seated on the throne and he invites us. Not our physical bodies, but our souls he has invited. Only by the blood of Jesus can we gain the qualification and the confidence to come. Amen. And if we are invited, how much more should we be excited and prepare? Wouldn't you prepare for that? That you would take a shower and you do your hair and, um, and try to, you make sure you're dressed your best and prepare your best offering. And with fearful and anxious and yearning heart, you would come. So anyone who came with this heart uh, to this worship, raise your hand. No, you just came without any preparation. You just barely made it here on time. That is why you are unsuccessful in your worship. You have to know who you came to worship. The more I know the Bible, the more I gain faith. I know him to the point I just long for him and to exalt him for he is just so great and so high so holy and so mighty that the king of kings is calling us he's not calling the rich the famous the powerful no he is calling sinners that come with the confidence of his blood that we are we confess and are ashamed that we are sinners but because of the blood of jesus we gain the confidence and boldness to come when he calls so do we come to see sinners as we don't know what they look like no we come in shame and in fear but the fact that he called us we are just so grateful and reverent and, and that is how we come here and that's why you cannot come here without preparation or without prayer. Did you pray for this worship throughout the week? No? Then the entire week you should pray. And even... So when you feel good, you wear your best suit. And when you don't, you just wear whatever you want, like a t-shirt. So there are... So what will you wear before even the president? Will you just wear your lounge clothes? No. They'll reject you if it's just anything. They'll say you have no qualification, that you are unprepared, that you just go back. If the people of the world reject you, then how much more important is it to prepare for the appearance before the king of kings who paid the price on the cross and won the battle? He called you to be his people for his kingdom and to know and serve him. That he will choose those to bring back with him to the kingdom of heaven. But do you think he will bring back the unprepared? So this worship 
and service are we just here to kill time and that sometimes you're late and you're unprepared you're in and out i'm sorry but you've already failed in your worship god will not receive such worship so think about it he is the king of kings even the kings of the world that's something but we are talking about the king of all kings, of the whole universe. We are here before our king, and you come without preparation. Do you think he will accept your worship? But even in your weaknesses and flaws, we ask um, for his forgiveness and his mercy. We come before him because we have his blood and repent. You ask him to forgive you, and you want to serve him. And that you have come with his blood, you in fear and trembling, you come. So and you want to meet him, the meet the face of the Lord, and with such heart you must come to worship. So whether it's each hour, your attitude, your attire, you, your offering, you must be able to give a worship that is worthy of him. Amen. So he is not just some leader of a religious organization. He is the king of kings. If you do not know this, so, and many people, uh, so there's hierarchies and authority, even in the world, but we are talking about the king of kings. If we know this, then we must know how we ought to serve our king. If you have even the little slight bit of conscience, that's good. But if you lack it, you don't have faith and you don't prepare, you do not come in preparation, and you've just come to kill time and say, I need it, then I am sorry. But when the kingdom comes, he will say, I do not know you. The kingdom where Jesus rules as the Christ. Jesus as the Christ, the kingdom that he rules. What relationship does that kingdom have with you? That today in the church, this is a foreshadow and model. It really doesn't have the authority and glory, that, but seems like nothing. But one day, this kingdom will come before us. And this kingdom here on earth will be absorbed into the kingdom of heaven. And I bless you all to be lifted up to his kingdom on that day. So why do we need to be the people of his kingdom? Because the kingdom where Jesus Christ rules as the king is my security and it is my survival. The kingdom where Jesus Christ rules is my peace. The kingdom where Jesus Christ rules is my prosperity. The kingdom where Jesus Christ rules is my happiness. The kingdom where Jesus Christ rules is my life, my everything. So yes, it did not happen yet, so you might not think it is important. But when it comes, when the day comes, I need to be there. Where Jesus Christ rules as the Christ, that kingdom I long and love and seek. I love my God and I want to live for his kingdom and to die for his kingdom and do anything to give glory for his kingdom.
So help me, Lord. Let us pray. 